Kirana, you're listening to Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Koroi Hawkins. Coming up first... The whales, the dolphins, uh, the snorkelling, the diving, the fishing, there is so much there. Newe reopens its borders to tourists. The approach that we see is working, is consultation. It's a consultative approach. Pacific LGBT people say they're charting their own course to emancipation. If you're not a sports fan before... You'll probably be a sports fan now after the minigames. It's such a celebration of life. And Papua New Guinea tops the 2022 minigames medal tally in the CNMI. Niue is the latest Pacific Island country to open to New Zealand tourists after more than two years of being shut due to the pandemic. The first flight departs Tuesday morning. Niue is one of the few countries that has not experienced community transmission of COVID-19 with just a handful of cases recorded at the border. Niue Tourism Destination Manager Gay Wood says while it is exciting news, there is a hint of nervousness in the air in light of COVID. She spoke with RNZ Pacific reporter Lydia Lewis. Niue is very excited to be reopening its borders this week um, with the first flight departing here out of Auckland uh, en route to Niue, Tuesday at 10 past nine in the morning. So it will arrive into Niue on Monday afternoon at 1.40pm and the tourism operators are very excited. Very cautious still. Um, it's, uh, the borders have been closed for over two years, so naturally they are awaiting um, passengers and tourism, of course, returning, but also just being very mindful that uh, this is a little bit new for them in uh, this, the sense that it's been shut for two years. So uh, they're a little uh, cautious, but very optimistic and very excited as well. And there have been power outages as well. Is the power going to be restored, do you know, before um, people arrive? Yes, it has. Actually, it was restored and they're watching it just to make sure that nothing further sort of happens. But there's lots of uh, information like that on the um, on the uh, Nui government website, which is under your Facebook uh, page. is a nice, easy way to find that. And yes, they had been in the last week or so. But uh, no, it's all good now and they're just monitoring it in coming days. And are the, is the flight, the first flight heading there full? How many passengers um, are on track to arrive? Not fully full, but um, looking very good. And talking to Air New Zealand uh, just a few days ago, they said uh, they too are very excited to see that um, business and interest uh, is starting again to Nui and uh, they can't wait to see that grow as more and more um, interest and and publicity, of course, is there, just telling people that we're open and, and we're very much looking forward to seeing New Zealanders return. And what does it mean? Do they need to isolate on arrival? What does being open mean? No, um, there's no isolation required now. So as of uh, this week, Tuesday the 28th, uh, for anyone going into uh, Nui, they must be fully vaccinated. Uh, They must have also had a negative PCR test within 48 hours of departure from New Zealand. But other than that, there's no isolation. You will have to have uh, two tests while you're actually up there, the government of Nui do pay for that. There's no cost to a, a, a tourist uh, visiting Nui, but it will be on day one and day uh, three, I think it is, or two tests during that time. So uh, that's a backstop just to check to make sure that uh, all of our tourists are safe and that there's no COVID coming into Nui. And almost three years uh, being 
shut, the borders being shut. And Nui, like you will know, hasn't had community transmission. What have uh, what have you know those hospitality business owners and um, residents been doing um, to prepare and to um, you know while the borders are being closed? Hi. Well, there's been lots of notification given to them, so they've been very busy. We've seen loads of photos from cleaning up those wonderful uh, cliff tracks and the tracks and the walks around uh, the island. There's been work down around the wharf and there's been clean-ups and there's been lots of activities. But of course, Nui has continued to operate. It's a very big uh, local community up there. They've, they've continued to have some wonderful sporting events and school events. They've opened a, a brand new parliament building. Um, they have been carrying on life. There's been new cafes and food and eateries uh, that have been opening and uh, they're very much looking forward to welcoming tourists back as well. And also a massive um, ocean conservation area as well. Tell me a bit about that and what um, you know tourists can look forward to in, in terms of the beautiful ocean. That's right. There's a wonderful uh, marine uh, reserve that has been opened around Nui that's been signed off that did start discussions on that some years ago and it came to fruition just this year and uh, it offers 127,000 square kilometres of marine protected area. So uh, the whales, the dolphins, uh, the snorkelling, the diving, uh, there is so much the fishing, there is so much there that will uh, be sustainable of course from here on both for locals as well as tourists to enjoy. And how about business owners? Pre-COVID, how much did the community rely on tourism and how much of a hit has this COVID period been? Um, naturally, before COVID, uh, tourism was a, a wonderful source of income and uh, revenue generation for the entire island. And when you've got tourists on the island, there's generally up to 12,000 tourists a year that will visit uh, Nui. In some years, it, it will be less than that. In some, it, it would be a maximum of that number. Um, so naturally, the cafes, the restaurants, the dive operators, the varying uh, shops um, very much enjoyed the, the, the tourism that was coming into Nui. Um, many of those have uh, continued, as we said. The community is still very vibrant up there. Uh, it's simply a, a matter of uh, it, it probably has been an opportunity for many of them, like it has been here in New Zealand, to say, is this uh, a, a business that we want to continue thereafter? And there will be some changes, but as we said, there's certainly been some uh, new ones that have been opening during that time as well. This month is Pride Month in the United States and Europe, a celebration of diversity and inclusivity and tolerance. According to the Office of the UN High Commissioner of Human Rights, the core legal obligations of states with respect to protecting the human rights of LGBT people include obligations to protect individuals from homophobic and transphobic violence, prevent torture and cruel, inhumane and degrading treatment and repeal laws criminalizing same-sex relations and transgender people. Many Pacific countries fall short of the mark on this last point and often come in for criticism from developed countries with more progressive laws. However, a Samoan lawyer says the confrontational approach that the LGBTQI plus community in Western countries undertook to decriminalize queer peoples may not work in the Pacific. Alex Sua, who is also the president of the Fafafine Association in Samoa, was responding to a recent call made by a former president of Ireland, Mary Robinson, as part of Pride Month, urging Pacific leaders to reverse the laws that punish queer Pacific peoples and encouraging Pacific queer communities to keep fighting for their rights. 
Sua told RNZ Pacific reporter Susana Suisuiki, rather than taking to the streets or courts, Pacific LGBTQI plus communities prefer a more consultative approach. I appreciate leaders like uh, Robinson who speaks up for a community now. I have to say that um, in the Pacific region and also uh, in Samoa, um, the LGBTQI community issues are not as serious as the likes of, for example, some parts of Africa, um, some parts of uh, the Middle East, uh, some parts of, of Eastern Europe, and some parts of South America. They're a lot more serious than ours. Um, it may impact in a, in a positive way here for the Pacific, but it may not be on those other countries. But for leaders of the Pacific, I, I must say that um, the approach that we see is working is consultation. It's a consultative approach. The approach that has been done by the LGBTQI community in the West may not work here in the Pacific, where we slam, bam, and, you know, we really scream out on the, we take it to the streets, we take it to even to the courts, um, you know, uh, how those countries had to overcome um, or, or, or reverse the impact of those laws. But here in the Pacific, I, I don't think so. It's the consultation or consultative approach has been implemented and we see it's working. Mm. And it, it, of course, it I, it should be working because this is this has always been the Pacific um, approach to these things. And I'm speaking from the experience of our Samoa Fasting Association. We are consulted left, right, center now with all these issues arising, and 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 also as an association, we're very careful. We're also. We're also defensive and very protective of our culture and our cultural identity. Something that may work in New Zealand or Australia, we feel that it may not work here in Samoa. Something that may not may not work there, we feel it may work here. So, and and that's always been the approach. But coming but coming back to the question, um, I would say. Yes, it worked for leaders of the Pacific um, region because um, they are, uh, I would say, our leaders in the Pacific, um, especially our uh, the Polynesian culture, uh, with the Polynesian culture, I would say that there is a progressive appreciation by our leaders of these issues. But of course, they had to take it with a pinch of salt as well, because as you know, Christianity has had so much influence in our culture that it is now inseparably a part of it. So it's it's very, very, very careful, and, and that's where our we as the advocates and activists of LG, LGBTQI community come in. And that's where how we and that's where the consultative approach um, we see is working, and we continue to to implement that. 
in, in my article, Chanel says that little has been done in the Pacific to decriminalize homosexuality due to resources and focus spent on the climate crisis. Do you agree with this? Not necessarily. I don't absolutely agree with that. I appreciate the comments, but um, there has been work done in the in the Pacific. Um, there's still work done in the Pacific, and I don't think um, uh, climate change is the only issue that's now been addressed by our leaders. I think um, there's a lot of, of other issues, serious ones. And climate change, of course, is another top issue, but it's not the only issue. But in the midst of that, there is still ongoing um advocacy, as I told you, um, the only reason why the Western world is not, you know, never, they never get um, the advocacy that the Pacific community is doing towards the LGBTQI community, because they don't see the, um, how it, we are doing it, because they, they're, they're still seeing it from the Western advocacy lens where we should fight it in the courts, we should fight it in parliament. No, but this is where we're doing it from the grassroots level. And we're starting with our community. We're starting with the traditional authority. And these are the the very aspects of our Pacific culture that um, these Western activists um, somehow get so confused and, and, uh, you know, they, they... to an extent they don't appreciate as well, but there is work done. Papua New Guinea has earned the most gold medals of the Northern Marianas Pacific Mini Games, which wrapped up over the weekend. The PNG contingent finished with 33 gold, 28 silver and 19 bronze medals, the majority of them coming from athletics and weightlifting. Coming in second is Tahiti with 22 gold, 15 silver and 21 bronze medals, while the hosts Northern Marianas came in third with their best ever performance in any Pacific Games or Mini Games, 16 gold, 13 silver and 9 bronze medals. Joining me is our CNMI correspondent Mark Rambago. Kia ora Mark, tell us how it all wraps up. So Saturday, our 10-day affair, dalliance if you may say, Sports Extravaganza, the 2022 Northern Marianas Pacific Mini Games ended. Mixed emotions. Uh, yeah, it was 10 days of sports, sports, sports. Like I said, um, if you're not a sports fan before, you'll probably be a sports fan now after the mini games. It's such a celebration of life because of what we've been through the past two years, COVID and everything. And suddenly, tourists are here, athletes are here, delegations are here. I think more than 2,000 people in those 10 days came in and just shared our culture, shared our food, and competed in the highest athletic competition, not only in Micronesia, but in Oceania. So I was able to interview uh, Morea Baru and uh, Dikatoa, the athletes of the Games, and it was a surreal feeling. And, uh, and I also got to interview the chef de mission of, uh, of Papua New Guinea and, Ask him, what's the secret of your success? He had 33 gold medals. Out of the 33, 23 from uh, athletics. And it was funny because everybody I talked to, some of them said, 
that everyone on the stands already memorized the PNG anthem. And every 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 night when I'm reviewing the results of athletics, 90% of the results, PNG, PNG, PNG. And I'm not only talking about gold, okay? It's like a sweep, gold, silver, and bronze. They just dominated the athletics events. And also, Morea Baru and Dika Tua had six of those gold medals in the 71 kilograms and I think 39 kilograms. So six of them from uh, weightlifting and four, of course, from their PNG team. They have a elite PNG tennis team with the Apisa family dominating that. So they won uh, women's singles, women's doubles, women's team, and uh, mixed doubles. So that's basically where we're at. So PNG was top the medal tally, followed by New Caledonia. And the CNMI, surprisingly, as host nation, gave its best performance of the games ever, Pacific Games and mini games combined. So we won the gold medal, more gold medals than we had the previous stagings of the games combined. So we didn't only host a successful mini games, we also were competitive. So yeah. we win for both scenarios. Just focusing more on that, what were the, what were the successes for the CNMI? Our weightlifting team actually got most of the gold. Tennis also delivered three. So basically all the sports, all the nine sports that uh, were hosted, we medaled. Not gold, but at least bronze. Golf, we got, we got something from golf. Um, we got something from triathlon. We got, we got bronze. For baseball, of course, it drew the, the biggest crowd ever in any mini games in the cinema or any micro region games. I think there were like probably 1,000 to one five or even 2,000 people around the stadium and more than 17,000 online watching. So we got gold there, uh, beating Guam in a slugfest <laughs> with, uh, with our ace pitcher, Josh Jones, actually playing nine innings like a few hours before during the semifinals against Palau and then coming in relief in the third inning, playing another six innings. So he had 26 strikes outs in two games, two hours apart. So he was like a, a workhorse. I don't know. His, probably, his arm probably feels like jello right now. We also struck bronze in badminton. The last day of the, the competition, we, we salvaged a, a women's doubles bronze. And it's one of the, our youngest sports here. Actually, I'm one of the founders of it. And uh, I'm really proud that uh, some of the kids that I used to see just running around the court actually gave us bronze. So that's, uh, that's really an achievement. And um, the the organizing the games program it sounds like everyone that we've been hearing from had a had a great time with the hosting and their time in CNMI. Oh yes, <laughs> I think it's the first time Pacific Games and Mini Games that the host country used hotels to house the athletes, not only the athletes, the officials, and uh, Pacific Games uh, dignitaries. So everybody was in a hotel. They were air conditioned. And the food they said was great, was catered, and transportation was really good too. So because usually it's like classrooms said, and dormitories and, and schools. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> for for games. Schools, yeah, that's right. Insects all around and everybody's crowding the the bathrooms and the toilet facilities. Now it's no, it's it's actually three four-star hotels. And we even have a five-star hotel, and that's where the Pacific Games officials were set up. So yes, yes, we they said we set a new bar with regards to hosting. So we're happy about that. And uh, it just uh, fortifies everybody's uh, belief that the CNMI really are good hosts. So yeah, yeah we're proud of that too. 
That brings us to the end of Pacific Waves for today. Remember, you can download us free to your device from Spotify, iHeart, Apple Podcasts. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can also find us. Look at me for that next time more. 